Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hello and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 27. I'm John Davis and we're glad to have you with us here on Studio C. And joining me around the uh, round table this week is our reporter Stephen Chupnik and our associate producer and the gentleman who's responsible for most of the great road tests you see on MotorWeek, Ben Davis. (laughs) I'm sorry, Stephen, Ah, say hello. Hello. And Ben said hello. And we're going to basically do our normal routine today. Uh, We'll end up with our lightning round and also look into our MotorWeek mailbag. But first, Audi and Acura both make power plays. All right, we're going to start with an exotic car. And we do that. People want to know, why are you always showing these these very expensive, very high-performance cars? And I say, well, you know... We all have to have something to dream on, right? We all have to have goals in life. And I suppose if you win the lottery, what would you buy? We had one of those in this week, uh, the 2010 Audi R8 V10. And if you remember our road test of the R8 V8, uh, 420 horsepower, very fast, 4 seconds, 0 to 60, and a car that we thought easily it was right up there with uh, Lamborghinis and some of the Ferraris. I mean, it's actually even made in the same f- factory as the uh, Lamborghini Murcielago. Very impressive machine. Um, gorgeous to look at. Very comfortable to drive every day. All of those things. Here comes the V10 version. Another 105 horsepower. Um, a little bit different uh, exterior, but very minor. You have to kind of know the car in order to, to uh, see it. But a different driving experience. Uh, the engine just seems to be almost like you don't need gears. It was so responsive. And I know, Ben, that was your experience. It was. Um, the transmission's really tight ratio, too. So it's, it, it's real easy to get up there and get someone's attention really fast. And uh, that extra, extra 105 horsepower, to me, makes all the difference in the world. I thought the V8, although it was fast and you could have a lot of fun in it, it didn't really feel that much faster than a Corvette, say, or a really hopped-up Mustang. But this extra 105 takes it to the supercar level that I always knew it could get to. And and even though um, the acceleration times were only slightly better, it was a few ticks better than the V8, it was the drivability of the V10 that set it apart. It was absolutely effortless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean... I have to say, currently, it's it's one of my favorite cars uh, that we've driven in the last several years as far as delivering uh, that supercar experience, but more so not seeming temperamental, and you get a great warranty with it, which is not usually true with it, a lot of these exotics. It sounds meaner than my fiance before her morning cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want to touch that one. <laughs> Stephen, when it was here, well, that was your first exposure to the R8. That was. Um I just even from the looks of it, uh, it's got the engine it just exposed in the in 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 the back, and it just it screams power. It screams that it just wants to be driven, and you get in there and it just goes. And you know nowadays when you're looking at, and it's not a cheap car; it's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the V10. But then you start comparing it to exotic vehicles that we're used to seeing, and they're often more than twice that. So really, in the supercar ranks. It's a heck of a bargain. 
That's true. We, I mean, even you and I were comparing it to used supercars exactly. to see which one we would go for with the Ford GT. I know we were talking about. I know. I remember once upon a time, uh, Lotus was sort of in that category when they were building uh, some V8s. It was like you'd look at them and you'd look at a Ferrari and say, geez, you know, I could buy the, um, the Lotus and, and pocket the rest and actually probably uh, buy a condo somewhere for the difference. If we basically had those kind of salaries, which, of course, we don't. So let's move along now to something that we probably could afford if we really had to. Um, the 2010 Acura TSX now with a V6. Four cylinders were not enough for this car before. Redesigned, still four. Nice car. No go. Finally gets the V6 from the TL. Ben, what would you think? Uh, the, the V6 power... Uh Extra power is always welcome. But to me, the TSX, I wasn't a big fan of it for the reasons that, even though it has more power, it still feels numb in a lot of areas that I'd like it to be sharpened up in to be competing in this segment. Um, I mean, it's a great car. It looks beautiful. It's super luxurious. It's a great everyday driver, but I would, I'd like to see a little more harder edge, a little more feel through the wheel maybe, a little more power feeling through the trans. Let me see if I can figure out where you're coming from. What do you think of the larger TL? And the reason I'm asking is mm -hmm. the TL got bigger. Right. A lot of us didn't like it as much as we used to. And the TSX got big, bigger and now seems to almost be what the TL was. Do you think the TL has gotten softer, is softer than it should be? Is, is that your mindset? Yeah, that's a good point. I think I might be. I might be on that train as okay. well. Okay. Well, that makes sense to me because I do think when you look at these, um, you know, BMWs, Audis, all of these so-called luxury slash performance sedans, some go one way more than the other. I think Acura clearly goes a bit more towards the luxury side of the equation than the performance side of the equation, where actually, which is where I think, say, BMW and Audi are. Not that we're talking about a rough and ready vehicle, by any stretch, but I do think the TSX is a little softer. But frankly, for people that live in our area with broken roads, um, maybe a little more um, palatable day to day. Any comment, Stephen? Well, I, I just think, like like Ben was saying, it's just you know, it's a, it's a regular driving car. It's there's nothing out of the ordinary about it. At least that's what I felt. Um, nothing that just jumped out at me and said, "Wow." Would you be surprised if I told you the TSX is basically the Accord that they sell in Europe? Oh, absolutely not. It makes sense. I mean, it's that kind of a family car. Yeah. So, nice car, helped along by the V6, not as hard driving as, say, a Lexus IS or a BMW 3 Series. Or maybe but, even a Mazda 6. Or even a Mazda 6. Well, that's very. That's an interesting comparison, too. Um, a little softer, a little more luxurious, still impressive, and the six-cylinder engine, I think, makes a lot of difference. Stephen, something uh, down your beat. Volkswagen Jetta TDI, our Motor Week best pick for the entire year of 2009. We love the performance of the, of the diesel powertrain. But you actually had a chance to go one big step beyond that over the edge, as we like to say, and look into Jetta TDI racing. Tell us about it. Yeah, this is a, a series cup that Volkswagen started uh, two years ago. Um, this is actually this was the second season. Uh, of the TDI Cup, um, and they basically took all their their diesel racing cars and just, or, di or not even really racing cars, just regular Jetta cars, and kind of tweaked it minorly to make them into into racing cars. They're all uh, automatics. They're all exactly the same cars, and 
It's a racing league for 16 to 26-year-olds, male and female. And it's really to get these 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 guys and girls into regular racing. And it's, it's an experience that they're just getting into another league. You went down to Virginia International Raceway, VIR, for one of their races. I was very impressed with the video you brought back about how amazingly serious these young men and women were about this. I mean, they looked, frankly, like children, and they were out there really doing some fender-to-fender racing. But the cars are all the same. That's the important part. It's that, really driver skill. It really, and, that, and that's exactly what Volkswagen wanted. They didn't want anyone tweaking up their car. They they wanted it to be all about the driver, um, as well as actually fuel efficiency. Um, they use a, a Sin Diesel from Hyperfuels mm-hmm. that uh, that is a B five, and basically everything, all the all the the fuel is that B five. The Diesel racing is very new to America. There have been some diesel race cars before, but not a series like this that I'm aware of. In Europe, it's a little more common. They've actually had Audi has been doing some real winning over there with diesels. But people wonder, why diesels for racing? And the answer is simple. Diesel engines make a lot of torque. And you need that kind of coming out of the whole power when you're coming out of a corner with a race car. So... Uh, your experience was that they really didn't leave out just because they were using diesel fuel. There was no real handicap. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, these cars were driving 60, 70 miles an hour around curves, around everything. And one thing that, and that's a very tight curve. And that and is then, there's yeah. a few that you just are shocked that these that these that kids are, are not only that, but they're not flipping them that they these cars handle yeah. right there. But they're they're quiet. And they just they they just go. The the, the drivers were telling me that they they just love driving yeah. these cars. It's very obvious. The V uh, Volkswagen Jetta TDI Racing Series. Um, it was a great segment you did, Stephen, and a very very interesting turn of events. And this actually leads into our lightning round, where we've got two minutes to really talk about something before our producer Michelle Parker does this. It's that bell. With a long waiting list and high demand, the Volkswagen Jetta uh, TDI, both in the sedan and the sport wagon, is fast becoming to diesels what the Toyota Prius is to hybrids, and that, in other words, the benchmark. Does this signal a turning point for diesels in the United States, or is this just a fluke? Who would like to start? Well, I, I guess just to continue on with, with with what we were just talking about with the racing league and and the diesel gas at least right now in, in the United States, is roughly the same price as... At the moment. As, at the moment, right. Uh, is the same price as regular fuel. And I think car... Just regular consumers are going to say, hmm, I don't know. You know, Americans are always so leery about going... Well, you have to pay... To you the, still have to pay a premium for the diesel right. engine. And historically, diesel fuel has been priced more like premium gas or worse. So... Right now, I say historically, over the last four or five years, right now diesel seems to be unusually cheap because commerce is slowed down. Um, These are wonderful cars. I mean, anybody that drives a diesel doesn't want to go back to gas. But when you've got all the extra cost to buy it in the first place and then the extra price of the fuel, it's tough sell, especially against a hybrid. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. They won't have a problem selling all that they make and bring over for sure. Because um, and they'll even pick up some diehard fanatics along the way too. But but in the long run, if diesel jumps up more than gas, 
that's going to be the death now. Well, I wouldn't say death now, but it's almost time for him to catch on fully, but it, I don't think it's quite here yet. You know, I, we really need to be seeing more diesels, and we're seeing a few from Mercedes and Audis and other and, and SUVs you know, and crossovers because that's where uh, the extra fuel economy uh, is more important. Also, these are expensive vehicles, so an extra 10% on the price is not going to knock people out as much as it would on a, a compact family, family car. I mean, in Europe, you basically don't see anything that purports to be a, a sport utility vehicle or even a crossover that's not diesel-powered. And I, I hope we've turned the corner here, but the cost factor, I'm not sure. Right. Not at all. Yeah. I'd like to see it. Okay, let's move along now to our Motor Week mailbag. Now, if you've got a question that you'd like answered on our podcast, visit www.motorweek.org and submit your question. And if you are chosen, you will receive a free Motor Week T-shirt. And this question comes from George, and he says, I've learned a lot from watching your show. Thank you, George. Do crossover utilities have the same emission and safety standards as carts? Very good question. George, it depends on your definition of crossover. Some of the original crossover utilities were based on trucks, like the Chevrolet Avalanche. That was basically a Chevy Suburban with a pickup truck rear end. That is a truck. So it has somewhat different emission standards, and slightly different safety standards. Almost all of the vehicles that we test today, called crossovers, are based on a car chassis. Uh, for instance, the, the Honda Cross Tour uh, and a lot of others. And they are designed to meet car emission and safety standards. So it really depends on not only what the manufacturer classifies as a car or truck, but more importantly, what the government does So I can't give you a hard and fast answer, but the vast majority of crossover utilities that you're going to be seeing uh, this year and new ones coming will meet all car standards in safety and emissions. And I hope that answers your question, George. And that pretty much wraps up this podcast number 27 for Motor Week. Ben Davis, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And over here, Stephen Chupnick, thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and, of course, our ever-ready producer, Michelle Parker, and her bell. Thank you very much for joining us. Be sure to catch Motor Week on your local public television stations and visit us here again at MotorWeek.org for more Motor Week podcasts. I'm John Davis, and we'll catch you soon on Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.